Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you need more information about Park Hills or the other things that we're creating, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. It's just good music. You needed an extra little tune there, didn't you? I, I, you know, I just need to do that sometimes. So, Pastor Mark, we're talking about gods, plagues, fun things for a podcast, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, if I didn't know better, there would be a temptation on my part to maybe accuse you of, of just trying to fly over these plagues really quick as though you were avoiding something. You know, you, you, you did go after nine in a Sunday. I feel like you saying I could or I, I don't want to do this or you could be accused of or you could accuse me of. These things are sentences that sound like you have best intentions, whereas at times I feel like you don't have best intentions. You know, I wanted Toward to give me. you an out, you know, <laughs> I, I wanted to, I wanted to, I'm, you know, I'm going to hit you with a firm hand, but a soft glove. Okay. Yeah. Sounds All good. Right. Yeah. We, we covered nine plagues in a, in a Sunday. Let me really quickly explain why. Cause Cause there, the, I mean, there are 10, Chris. There's a good reason. Yeah. Well, the 10th one is huge. And so you're going to get to deal with that soon. Yes, of course. Which is going to be great. But the, the nine that we deal with here, part of the reason for that is most of us have heard some type of sermon or something, Sunday school lesson or something yeah. on these at some point. We don't need a ton of time on all of them. That's not even really the main story of the Exodus, which unfortunately that's the story most people know. Well, I remember the flannel graph pictures, you know, I remember them moving them up and then, then all the... How old are you? All the gnats, you know. Oh, flannel graph is not as out as you think, <laughs> really. I, I'm thinking, matter of fact, I'm thinking we ought to bring it back. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, how, how can you forget all the all the pictures? And, you hear that, and kids? All, Pastor all the... Mark's going to do a flannel graph Passover <laughs> lesson next week. That's a good idea. That's challenge, challenge accepted. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's some interesting stuff going on here. We've we've got some biblical numerology to to be thinking about here. Yep. We have ten plagues, even though you only did nine, and I'm doing the one. But there are ten total plagues, and we see that number uh, show up at, at other times, and. And we also have a seven-day factor coming in there. Yep. And then I think maybe we ought to talk about just what, at first glance, is just such oddity that the of what these plagues were. Yes. You've got some very strange things, strange plagues, and annoying. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, even the Israelites have to suffer through the first ones and just uh, how awful. I can't think of just how miserable gnats would have been. I can't stand when gnats are flying around bouncing off me, but I even like boils. I've had one boil in my life and I don't hope, I don't ever want another one. They were horrible. Yeah. Uh, let me spare the listener from that story going any further <laughs> than that. So stop the train. Yeah. 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 So the plagues, 
I know that they could seem random and arbitrary, right? At first glance, you might read them and go, huh? What's interesting is there's some natural scientists who don't believe in God, mind you, and are trying to find a naturalistic explanation for these plagues that would suggest that it's possible that each of these things are direct correlation to one another. So I've even heard a crazy theory at one point of a massive volcano happening in the Mediterranean, which released a bunch of iron in the Nile, which would have caused a blood red feel to it. That blood red Nile full of iron would have killed most of the wildlife in the Nile fish and the frogs would have left because they're able to, right? So you've got a ton of, if you think about the iron and the fish dying, blood's everywhere and it smells like blood. Then the frogs would have left then the frogs would have all died and they would have been eaten by flies or, or gnats, which then would have been eaten by flies, which then would have caused a disease on the livestock, which then would have caused infectious diseases on people like, you know, foot and mouth disease sort of situation. And that then a massive storm coming, which is always the one that they always kind of throw out like it's a natural explanation, but immediately following all those things with a, with a hail and lightning storm doesn't really make a ton of sense. Yeah, hard to link that one. But if there's nothing alive or things are broken down, locusts coming out of the desert would make a ton of sense. And then following that up with darkness, which again, they can't find a good explanation for, or the firstborn, they can't find a good explanation for. But they're willing to say, oh, these are clearly just natural events that are happening. So whereas we even see them as somewhat arbitrary, there are other scientists who would say, there's nothing arbitrary about them. These are like a natural succession. Let me just push back on all of that right now and just say, unequivocally what we are saying in our position in the sermon on Sunday and everything else is this is God in his sovereign and powerful ability making a case against certain things in Egypt and specifically the gods of Egypt, right? Yeah. Pharaoh himself, um, you know, obviously revered as a God or the God of the land. And then you have um, many unique characters and, and sometimes these were just, uh, people's attempts to try and figure out things that were bigger than themselves, you know, yep. a sun God, Ra, you know, you, it, the God is, it got, the sun is powerful. It's incredible. So we, it must be a God of its own. We have um, one of my personal favorites, Sobek, who was a <laughs> fertility God. And I, I like it because it was said of him, he who made the herbage green. <laughs> And I really just wanted to say herbage somewhere in this. Your podcast. entire point of bringing this up was just to use that word. It was. Yeah. It was to say herbage. But, you know, interesting <laughs> character. So then, okay, so an attack on the river, an attack, uh, or even the frogs, you know. Right. Like, what a gross plague, by the way. Well, not that the bloody river wasn't one, but frogs everywhere. Man. It's just a weird thing. And so to back up just a, a, a second, because the, these names of these gods is going to be important and some of the things that they oversee is important. But you mentioned Pharaoh. So if we think about it th from this point of view, because we might say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would God, why would Pharaoh call himself a god? Well, even if you think about today, like the Queen of England, she believes that she has the crown because God ordained it that way. So this is not an uncommon thing even today. It's sort of made its way to this point where, you know, I have, I have this God-given right or I have this God-given whatever this is. In their opinion, back at this time, Pharaoh was given the power by the gods in their mind to be the voice box for the gods for the rest of the people. So when he made a decision 
or even there's, there's a couple of queens that would have made decisions. So when he or she makes a decision, those individuals are speaking on behalf of the gods, telling the people. So they become sort of a prophet almost, sure. right? Some kind of, you know, the embodiment of, of a God on earth. And they, they have a power and an authority that can't be questioned by the people. And that's partly how you can enslave people and how you can tell people what to do. Then you, you, like you just mentioned, the sun itself is so big and so scary and so weird that you can't control it. Right. And whether it's rising in the East or whether it's burning your skin or whether it's evaporating things into clouds, like whatever it is, we know that we can't control that ball out there, whatever it is. And so you might worship it as an ordained something, right? It's it's showing up when it shows yeah. up. So whether it's an actual being, which is what some of them would have believed, right? The, the Egyptians actually believed that Amon-Ra or Ra was this chariot-riding individual that, that rode from the east and rode across the sky into the west and then every morning would start the the journey over again. They had no idea that the earth was round, that the sun was rising, and that actually the sun wasn't the one moving. We were the ones moving. I mean, all of those things would have just blown their minds. But when you look at something and you go, oh, my goodness, I don't understand this. You just, you kind of create, whether it's a mythology or whether it's an actual being itself, Ra or others, you go, I want to try to make sense of it. I want to be able to, so if the sun doesn't show up for a couple of days because of cloud cover, you give a sacrifice to Amon-Ra, Never mind the fact that you live in a desert and the sun's going to come out the next day. Anyway, it's, you know, but you give a sacrifice and then all of a sudden the sun comes out and you're like, oh, look, Ra is listening to me. Ra's doing what I want them to do. Every one of these things that we are attacking, even the frogs, there is a frog headed God in Egypt that they believed had some type of quality. And so whether you're talking about frogs or gnats or flies or boils or livestock or the sun or Pharaoh, every one of them had some type of mythology attached to them. And part of what I think God is doing, if, if you're understanding the sermon on Sunday and if you're understanding where we're trying to go here with the podcast, is in Exodus 5, verse 2, when Pharaoh says, who is this Yahweh? I don't know a Yahweh. Yeah. Basically, he's saying, you're claiming that your God wants you to come out and worship. We have a worship system here that's working just fine. When we give our sacrifices to Ra, Ra appears. When we give our sacrifices to, you know, Heket, the frog god. Yeah, the fro- yeah, the frog <laughs> god, the or the the god of herbage. Uh, they, you know, they they show up and they do what we want them to do. The Nile is predictable, so this this river is is a god watching out for us. And they would have built all of these ideas. Well, then, if if they don't know who Yahweh is, Yahweh is saying, "I'm going to show you who I am, and I'm going to just go systematically through all of your deities, and I'm just going to knock them all down." You think that the frog god is fantastic? Mm. I'm going to show you that he's not in charge. Yeah, let me control the frogs for you. Yeah, so it then would lead us to say, you know, I, I think we try, we as we try to understand the Bible, we try to understand history and stuff, and we want to try to link this to these things. So, therefore, God did the plague of the frogs because of Hecate, the Egyptian god, sure. goddess of fertility who had a head of a frog. So, our, you know, and I, I think they're, we, we do need to be a little bit cautious with this to, you know, try not to overdo it. But it certainly does, you know, link back to that idea. Or, or I would think it certainly does that, um, yeah, I don't know this God. I know of these other gods. Well, let me tell you how great this God is uh, because your little gods will not hold up to the God. Totally. And that's not to say that there aren't 
beings that actually controlled some of these things. Because we talked about this in the Revelation series, right? I mean, there are angels holding back the winds that are going to that's going to be the final judgment against us in some way in in the end of Revelation. So if you've got these these angels of judgment that have been holding back wind, whatever that looks like, and sure, a scholar might, today might be like, well, that's ridiculous. That's not true. What that's going to be is just a huge windstorm. They're not actually holding back the winds. I'm going to take the word of God at its word. I, I like trusting that God knows what he's talking about. So let's say that he actually has beings that are ordained to hold back wind or to do such and such or to do such and such. It's possible that these are actually attached to beings of some sort that have some kind of power. So he might even actually be doing a direct attack against one of these individuals. You know, uh, I'm not saying that any of them are real. Please understand. I, I don't sure. know what's real and what's not real. And back to what I'm trying to say here is that even the names that you're attaching, those are from articles of scholars trying to attach a God with one of these things. And they're, they're totally reasonable to do so because we know kind of who God seems to be attacking. But I've read some papers and some books that are even suggesting that, that those are angelic, you know, rebellious angelic beings that are in charge of whatever. I don't know if I can make that case from the text. What I can make from the text as a case is that God is taking out those beings or those, uh, you know, suggested or understood beings at the knees, whether they're real or not, whether they're actually doing that or not. And they might be, we we don't know. They might actually be an angel, an angel that's in charge of something. And God says, all right, fine, you can release the frogs and I'll show you that I'm boss. Or it might just be the natural order of things that God's using to show them your gods have no power over me. Either way, at the end of the day, what, what the point of the passage is over and over and over again is God is fully in control. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it makes us a little uncomfortable to even entertain the idea that there are, you know, evil powers in super, of a supernatural sort, but we've got to go back and say, well, of course, of course there is, you know, right. the powers and principalities of the air that, you know, we have to understand that, and then that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We like the idea of God, who, who is, you know, the ultimate sovereign one sure. and, and almighty, and yet it makes us a little bit nervous to even go into some of that. So it's it's an interesting line of discussion for sure. We, we just kind of glossed over it. Initially, um, the ten plagues um, and biblical numerology and um, some might argue that that's speaking of completeness. It's... There's sure. 10, so it's complete, and certainly it was complete with the 10th one that came, and, yep. and it, that's so symbolic. Um, but even think of the Ten Commandments. Here we have the complete commandments. Um, but even um, just this idea that that uh, the, the sevens even, and, and understand that God created the earth in that seven days, and we see seven days come up again, don't we? Yeah, it's an interesting thing that you bring up there just in general, because if you think about what God is asking for, he's asking for his people to be able to go worship him in the wilderness, bring their animals along, bring their women, children, and men. You know, I pointed that out in the sermon that over and over again, God keeps saying, I want, I want my people to be free, all of them to be free. And at points, Pharaoh says, well, yeah, you can let the men go or fine. You can let the women and children go with you, but not the livestock. And he's trying to control the, the narrative and trying to control the situation but at the end of the day, the fact that there's 10 plagues and then in a few chapters here, we're going to be given 10 commandments. I've read some papers that make a correlation that's it's interesting. I don't know if I've totally bought it yet, but that can't be by accident. The fact that there's so many 10s throughout Scripture and those 10s 
end things, whether it's the genealogies in Genesis that we talked about so many months ago, or whether it's here, the, the 10 plagues, or whether it's the 10 commandments or, or on, so on and so forth. There's a, there's a beauty in that number of 10 that deals with completeness. And so clearly that's some kind of connection here. As you mentioned, seven days on the very first plague, you notice this in the sermon, I, I pointed out very briefly, but didn't have a time to dig into it as much as we are here. Verse 25 of chapter 7 says, Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. I don't think that's by accident that God waits seven full days to send the second plague, because when was the last time we heard about seven days? It's been repeated a few times at this point, but it's always dealing with this idea of creation yeah. and God having control of of the, the ordained system of earth, that he has the full rights and authority over this place. So think about it this way. Uh, and this is probably the easiest way for me to understand the plagues. If God created everything in seven days, which, right, six days and the seventh yep. day of rest, yep. we, we believe that, we, we stick with that story, we're, we're all good with it, we're totally on, on, on par with it. That seven gets repeated a number of times throughout Scripture, but every time it gets repeated, it always keeps bringing back, harking back to this, this creation narrative motif, even Sabbath being celebrated on the seventh day, right? The, or the fields taking a rest on the seventh year, yeah. the, you know, the year of Jubilee. All these things are just seven, 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 Jesus, seven times 70. You know, all of yeah. these things are kind of just like connecting to one another. And you go, okay, what's the point? Well, I think the point is God made everything in six days, rested on the seventh day. He sends the first plague and then waits seven days. Then he proceeds to completely dismantle everything that Egypt's got yeah. going for it. So one way to think about it, and, and like I said, this is really helpful for me. Hopefully it's helpful to you, the listener. Think about it this way. God created everything. He went from chaos, which is verses 1 and 2 of Genesis, right? Uh, Genesis 1, 1 and 2, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was formless and void mm-hmm. or you know, empty and, and wild or wild and waste. There's lots of ways to translate Without that. order. Yeah, but there's no order in it. And then God brings order over those next six days. Well, here, God is going to take the order of the Egyptians and he's going to dismantle it into chaos. So we go from Genesis 1, chaos into order. Here, order into chaos. And then he's going to baptize the Israelites as they leave through the Red Sea and then bring them a new form, a new order, a new concept, make them a nation of priests. And we're going to watch over the next you know, few chapters, watch God save his people, establish his people, determine who they are, ask them to join him in covenant. They do so, then they fail. But then he's going to set up this place for them. And, and that, that promised land idea is really a hark back to the Genesis passage. So it takes 10 plagues here to sort of break the Egyptians and dismantle their chaos in a complete way. I think it's a really cool way to think of it. You know what I'm saying? That God took order and then because he sees the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh and he's also enabling the hard-heartedness of Pharaoh, however you want to read that or understand that, God is breaking it down and saying, no, you have something, you think you're a God. I'm going to show you that you're not. I'm going to take you apart piece by piece. Yes. And, you know, I think we got to be careful of trying to figure that out too much, but you know, one of the ways to think of that too is just to even realize um, for him just to have l- let them go at first command, which God could have directed Pharaoh that way, then it wouldn't have been the dynamic thing that was passed down through the generations. It's such a memorable thing and just a display of power. But also, who knows what the ultimate effect on the Egyptian people was if this was, 
and we'll talk about that in a minute, a, a strike at, at the gods, if you will. Yep. Because they may have been, you know, centering their lives around worshiping these, these gods, whatever they were. Um, and now all of a sudden, the almighty God just sort of dismembers them one at a time and to the point where, you know, even just, I think it even speaks to the desperation they have when, when the Israelites leave of going, yeah, you can take our gold jewelry with it, with you. Just please go because we don't want to deal with your God anymore. We, you know, we don't want to. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're worshiping like the God Seth, for example, or Set, depending on how you want to read it, if their understanding of him is that he's in charge of storms and disorder and he's the one that creates that, if God says, tomorrow I'm going to send a, a hail and lightning storm that's going to completely annihilate everything, you're going to have fire and hail. And they say, well, you're not really in charge of that. Seth is. And then the next day the storm comes. How do you not then back up and go, Yeah. first, do I even believe in Seth? Or second, do I really believe that Seth is powerful if, if this God has the ability to do whatever he wants to do, right? Or... Hecate or any of these other fun ones that you were coming up with, you know, not coming up with, not like you were making them. I up, like Nut. Yeah. Egyptian goddess of the sky. Sure. Yep. Yeah. I mean, she's in charge of hail. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've got Isis, the, which is a crazy name. Yeah. yeah. In correlation today, you yeah. know, but the goddess of medicine and peace, not the same as the terrorist organization today, but you know, when he takes ashes and turns them to boils and sores, it's pretty clear there's a connection there, right? Or when the herbage all gets eaten by the That's uh, right. by the locusts. Yeah. Shortage of herbage. So I think the point that I would want to make if I were, you know, if I were preaching just a sermon on this podcast and like what we're doing here, my, my hope would be not that you walk out of there going, man, God knocked all those gods in the teeth. I don't even know that that's what God's trying to do. God is showing them that he's more powerful than their gods. Yeah, so that they will know. Yeah. But the point over and over again, as you read through Exodus 7 through 10, is that they will know that I'm God. Yep. And that gets repeated over and over again, which is a refrain that goes all the way through the scriptures. Right. Yep. They will know I am because of what I'm about to do. Whether that's used on the Egyptians here or whether it's used in the Israelites later, Yep. Or whether it's even out of the words of Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and others saying, no, you'll know that I am who I am. I, I am the one. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no question. It's me. Come follow me. And if you're not willing to follow me, then I'm going to deal with things in a different way, which then really brings us back to the point that we've been kind of driving the last few weeks is may I be someone who's humble enough and open, soft-hearted enough to realize that I have no real authority or power in this. I'm going to let God do his thing. I'm so glad that you circled back around there because just even as we wrap this up, yeah, these are some interesting things to talk about. But the simple fact is we don't know for certain exactly what this was related to with all the gods and that sort of thing. But we do know it was so that people would know that our God is God. Mm-hmm.